0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Ah.
0: Take a treat retreat at McDonald's right now. Get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Joe Biden was just notified by his team that he selected someone for the vice presidency. We have that. And we also have an entire analysis on why we need to play college football, but this is the most comprehensive, the most thorough takedown of Senator Kamala Harris, and we have it for you right now quicker than any other podcast out there. Senator Harris takedown right here. I want to thank those of you that support us at charliekirk.com slash support. Similar to how NPR or PBS are getting your support or your tax dollars to keep them going, to keep this program going, when you go to charliekirk.com slash support, you keep our program going, going strong, and growing so that we can hire more staff, so that we can get two podcasts a day for you. So please go to charliekirk.com slash support. We do a monthly private call for our top supporters at charliekirk.com slash support. If you're a monthly supporter, you're a top supporter. Huge episode in store. Senator Harris, college football, and so much more. Email us your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. Here we Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk
1: is on the college campus.
2: I
0: want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk.
1: Charlie
2: Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will
0: not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Senator Kamala Harris. Or is it Kamala? I can never get it right. I think it's Kamala. So we had a whole other episode recorded, packaged, ready to air for you guys. And then former Vice President Joe Biden was notified that he selected someone to become his vice president. He was so surprised and he said, we might as well announce it today because his handlers and his puppeteers, if you will, said, former vice president, it's time. He said, is it really time? No, not time for that. It's time for us to announce who we've selected. Well, who is it? Well, if we tell you, you'll probably forget. So it was Kamala Harris, and he did so in a very bizarre way. He showed a picture of himself on a Zoom call with an iPhone upside down and a script right in front of him while he was talking to Senator Harris over Zoom or WebEx. Joe Biden tweeted the following, I have the great honor to announce that I've picked at Kamala Harris, a fearless fighter for the little guy and one of the country's finest public servants as my running mate. Back when Kamala was attorney general, she closely worked with Beau. I watched as they took on the big banks, lifted up working people, and protected women and kids from abuse. I was proud then, and I'm proud now, to have her as my partner in this campaign. All right, so let's just get right into it. First of all, before we dive into the most comprehensive takedown of Senator Harris that will hopefully, God willing, never become Vice President of the United States and never become President of the United States, let's just draw the line very clearly. This is actually a great thing for President Trump. This is a phenomenal thing for President Trump. This is a win for those of us that want to see Wisconsin and Pennsylvania go red. We're going to go into why that is the case. And I don't really know who this wins over, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know who is now extra motivated to go vote for Joe Biden because of the California Marxist that is now on the ticket, especially in the key battleground states. I'm going to get into the positives and also some of maybe the potential negatives for Donald Trump, but there's not many. So let's get into Senator Harris's bio. She was district attorney of San Francisco from 2004 to 2011. From 2011 to 2016, she then became attorney general of California. From 2016 to present, she was the senator from California. So she's known for a couple of things. She hasn't been senator for very long, mind you. She's actually very recently become United States senator. One of those was for literally throwing Joe Biden under the bus during the primary debates. Remember this clip? Play tape.
1: And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Vice President Biden, do you agree today? Do you agree today? That you were wrong to oppose busing in America. Then, Do you agree?
0: That little girl was me, she said. That little girl was me. She rehearsed it about 15 times in front of her mirror. Then out of nowhere, Senator Kamala Harris, after she saw a spike in the polls, was notified that she better sit down and behave, and she never attacked Joe Biden again, and now she's the vice presidential nominee. The Democrat political machine operates because of power and fear of retribution. She's also very well known for defaming the character of now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And by the way, she's a complete and total phony. She had an affair with former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown that propelled her to get into California politics. And she's also known for what the media calls a, quote, historic pick right now the first black woman and Southeast Asian woman in American history to be general election candidate for either of two major parties. So let's break down her record one by one. Here's her record on criminal justice. Might have just ruined her presidential run. One of the reasons her presidential bid failed so miserably was because she was largely considered to be a fake. She is on every side of every issue. For example, she went from calling Joe Biden a segregationist play tape
1: and I will say also that that in this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden, um, I do not believe you are a racist, and I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground, mm-hmm. but I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing.
0: To being his vice presidential nominee. She's gone from believing his accusers to joining his ticket. Does she still believe Tara Reid? She is the embodiment of how the left would have no standards at all if they didn't have double standards. Here's another one. She owns a gun, but she doesn't want you to. She doesn't want you to be able to own a firearm. Even though America is on fire and is burning with arson around us, it has been ravaged by domestic terrorists hellbent on tearing down our country, even expanding their protests into the suburbs. She also infamously called Jussie Smollett hoax a modern-day lynching, and even went so far as to introduce a bill in the United States Senate to outlaw lynchings. Now, of course, Smollett was completely exposed as a fraud, similar to how Kamala is. Yet the senator has never apologized for her role in propping up an attempted race war in America. Does she still think Jussie Smollett is a hero? Love to get her opinion on that. The Achilles heel for the Harris campaign has been a perceived lack of authenticity. She is callous. She is mean. In a lot of different ways, she's just a younger, more diverse Hillary Clinton. There is perhaps no better example of the gap between public presentation and the truth than how she mischaracterized what she did from 2004 to 2015 when she was San Francisco's district attorney and California's attorney general. So you see, she branded herself as a, quote, progressive prosecutor. But the truth is anything but that. She was attempting to distance herself from her actual record, and understandably so. You see, the Democrats have shifted dramatically on criminal justice since she was a prosecutor. See, the Democrats are now pro-public crime. They are pro-arson. And so because of that, the fact she used to put arsonists and criminals in prison does not bode well for her support amongst the pro-crime Democrat base. Progressives consider her tough-on-crime approach from the mid and late 90s as something of racist and failed and pandering to conservatives, even though it kept streets safe and black families intact. In fact, when Senator Harris was California's Attorney General, she kept inmates in prison instead of giving them parole to have them work at $1 an hour rate for the state, which was practically slave labor, by the way. Instead of setting people free, she kept them in prison so she could exploit cheap labor. Now, mind you, I'm actually pro-tough-on-crime. I think that Our country has actually been able to have a civil society because we've been tough on crime. I'm not in favor of over prosecutions. I just want someone to be consistent. I think Senator Harris does what is ever politically expedient to get herself to the highest political position because she is a political ladder climber. Now, even though she built up her career locking up countless black people for low-level marijuana crimes, she went on The Breakfast Club to joke about smoking weed herself. Even though the chronological order of which she approached this with didn't quite add up, play tape. So there are a
1: lot of reasons why we need to legalize.
3: Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay, like and college, I and I inhaled. I didn't. I did inhale.
1: It was a long time ago, <laughs> but. Yes. I know you have to go. They
3: said you have to go. I just, I just broke news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wasn't in college? Uh huh. What
1: were
3: you listening to when you
1: was high? Uh, <laughs> what was on? What song? Was it? Was it oh my goodness. Oh yeah, definitely Snoop. Uh-huh. Uh, Tupac,
0: Tupac, for sure. Kamala Harris, she said she was listening to Snoop Dogg, even though the music that she said she was listening to wasn't quite out yet. Kamala Harris is a pandering liar. All she wants is power. She's Hillary Clinton, but a little bit younger and more diverse. Joe Biden supported the 1994 crime bill. Senator Harris enforced it, as California's attorney general. The party has rabidly endorsed the defund police movement, and now they want to nominate a cop to become vice president. Now, Senator Harris says she's in support of this movement. What do you get for Senator Harris? A liar. Someone on every side of every issue. So for those in my audience who might not know what the 1994 crime bill was, Vox, which is a little bit left of Stalin's favorite newspaper, Pravda, described it as, quote, the controversial 1994 crime law that Joe Biden held right. It was one of the key contributors to mass incarceration of the 1990s. They said it led to more prison sentences, more prison cells, and more aggressive policing, especially hurting black and brown Americans who are disproportionately likely to be incarcerated. The truth is that Senator Kamala Harris was one of the chief enforcers of that crime bill as a former prosecutor. One far-left report put it this way, That Harris's brand of progressive prosecution was really just being complicit in securing America's position as the world's leading jailer. As attorney general, she weaponized technicalities to keeping people wrongfully convicted behind bars. Now, I don't know if I believe a lot of this, but this is the perception what a lot of people in the black progressive base have. She championed a law that went after the parents of chronically truant children laughed when asked if marijuana should be legal and supported the system that locks up people who are too poor to post exorbitant money bail. The truth is that Harris embraced progressive criminal justice policies only when it became safe to do so after they had become popular. And if she had ran on being tough on crime, she could appeal to some independents, maybe some moderate Republicans, but she's not. She's just like Biden. She has run so far to the left. Now, mind you, George Soros' son, George Soros, the bitter anti-American financier who's dedicated $20 billion of his own money to try to destroy Western society, his son, Alexander Soros, a Marxist who lives in Berkeley, California, immediately posted a picture with Kamala Harris saying, Congratulations to our future Vice President Kamala Harris. History in the making. Remember, this is the same George Soros that is funding the, we won't prosecute the criminals and rioters policies, we are watching ruin America's big cities. So if you're a little confused, you should be. There is no consistency to Senator Kamala Harris. It's whatever side the political winds are on is what she is behind. However, a good thing for the Trump campaign and a good thing for our entire movement is the fact that Senator Harris will not be able to drive up black support. President Donald Trump should run ads every single day showing black America that Senator Kamala Harris is the cop that you say that you hate. Also, let's talk about her affair with former San Francisco mayor Willie Brown. He admitted to having an extramarital relationship with Senator Kamala Harris. He said, yes, we dated. It was more than 20 years ago. You see, Brown appointed Harris just a few years out of law school to two well-paid state commission assignments to the Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board and the California Medical Assistance Commission. He said this, yes, I may have influenced her career by appointing her to two state commissions when I was assembly speaker and I certainly helped with her first race for district attorney in San Francisco. Brown connected Harris with campaign donors, which helped her outraise her opponent for San Francisco's district attorney, according to Business Insider. This guy was known for attending parties with his wife on one arm and a girlfriend on the other, according to a reporter quoted by the magazine. Seems like a good, upright, moral individual. Senator Harris found someone convenient that she could, let's say, commingle with, benefit her career. She did it. And she's nothing more than a political, social climber. Sounds like Hillary Clinton. Now, her race is going to be a big talking point moving forward. This race is not a traditional political race. It's not a traditional vice presidential race. It is now almost like Senator Kamala Harris is running for co-president of the United States. This is a good thing for Donald Trump. Harris is the daughter of Jamaican-born father and Indian-born mother. Her dad, Donald Harris, is an economics professor. Her mother was a, quote, breast cancer researcher from India who died in 2009 of colon cancer. She's a daughter of immigrants, but her heritage has caused a little bit of debate among Democrats. Look, I don't really care about her race, but it's important to understand these dynamics because they shape up the way the left thinks and why Biden chose her. Listen to African-American April Ryan debate her heritage with CNN Don Lemon play tape. Number one,
1: she is a black woman. She's a mixed race woman. When you see her, you see her blackness. But she is also South Asian. Her mom is South Asian and her dad is Jamaican. April, April, April. Let me me,
3: me, listen. More power to her. And I think it's great. That is that should be enough. Listen, it is enough that she's a black woman. We are not
1: a monolith. No no no, exactly. no, 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 but they, they did the same
3: no, thing no, they no, do, but no, no, I think you, I like you're that. not, you're not Go hearing ahead. what people are saying. The people who are saying, is she black enough? That's bull. That's BS. But to, uh, to, to I want a saying. distinction to say, the- is she African American? Or is she black? Or is she, na- whatever? That what's, there is nothing wrong with that. There is a difference between being African American and being black. Um la- People, la- people, Latino people are people of color, but they're not black. They're brown people. She is a okay? woman of
1: color, but she is a black
3: woman. Okay, that's she, why I agree with that. I agree three. with that, but now, is she African-American? No, 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 no no no, 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 But is she African-American? There's a difference. There's nothing wrong with that. No one is trying so to take anything down. away let's from her. Let's go down into her lineage. I think you're falling into a trap of that. All she had to do was say, I am black, but I'm not African-American. That's it.
2: I'm
1: not falling in. Let me let me Let me finish. Hold on. I'm not falling into a trap by that. When 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 she goes down her lineage, many Africans landed on in Jamaica and all these other Caribbean islands. So she could indeed be not African-American America. mixed with other races. But she Jamaica's is
0: Jamaica's not America. So her race is going to be a little bit of a topic of conversation. Is she really black? Is what some people are gonna say. That's actually kind of irrelevant to me. I care much more as to whether or not she is a good person. I care about whether she's going to make good decisions. I care about her ideas, which are awful. Now, this is from the primary debate, where she called for President Trump to be banned from Twitter. Play tape.
1: Here we have Donald Trump, who has 65 million Twitter followers and is using that platform as the president of the United States to openly intimidate witnesses, to threaten witnesses, to obstruct justice. And he and his account should be taken down.
0: And President Trump said in his press conference, when asked about Kamala Harris, the following that she would be my number one draft pick play tape.
2: So she was my number one pick. I mean, she was, as they would say, because hopefully you'll start college football. She was my number one draft pick, and we'll see how she works out. She did very, very poorly in the uh, primaries, as you know. She was expected to do well, and she was, she ended up at right around 2%, and spent a lot of money. She had a lot of things happening, and so I was a little surprised that he picked her. I've been watching her for a long time, and I was a little surprised. She was extraordinarily nasty to uh, Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh then, now Justice Kavanaugh. She was nasty to a level that was just uh, a horrible thing the way she was, the way she treated now Justice Kavanaugh. And I won't forget that soon. So she did very poorly in the primaries and now she's chosen. So let's see how that all works out.
0: Now, look, Senator Kamala Harris, she's a gun grabbing California Marxist. She believes in Medicare for all. She believes that. Illegal immigrants should get taxpayer benefits. So does Joe Biden. Senator Harris is now incredibly inconsistent, almost a net nothing on the burn down our inner cities issue. She can't run on tough on crime and she can't run on defunding the police. She's inauthentic. She cackles. That's right. She cackles. And that just bothers me. And I think that's going to turn people off. This could not be a better selection for President Trump. The one thing that she has been very consistent on the one thing that she has been remarkably disciplined on is how she doesn't believe people should own firearms. We talked in a previous episode of The Charlie Kirk Show, and I encourage all of you to type in Charlie Kirk Show and hit subscribe. And by the way, our turnaround time on the Senator Harris opposition research and the fact that we've been able to bring it to you so quickly is thanks to you guys that support us at charliekirk.com slash support. When you go to charliekirk.com slash support, we're able to give you the news quickly, honestly, and better than anyone else at charliekirk.com slash support. So thank you for that. And when you give us the information, we're able to give you the facts on the propaganda, on the falsehoods that have permeated all across the American left. This is a good thing for President Trump. President Trump can now make this race much more about Kamala Harris because now that Joe Biden's mental state is in quick deterioration, now that Joe Biden— is struggling even to be able to put together a couple words. He confuses his wife with his sister, what day the primary is at, what president he served with. He calls President Obama, Senator Obama. He says to reporters that are black, that ask him tough questions, he calls them junkies. He says to certain people that are black, if they do not vote for him, they are somehow less black. This is Joe Biden's quickly and ever declining mental state. And also another note on Senator Kamala Harris's kind of Race issue and heritage issue. Her father issued, who, by the way, is a professor of economics emeritus at Stanford University, he wrote an essay on his family's history, and it was about Kamala Harris. He said, Because Kamala Harris said on The Breakfast Club something about smoking weed and being Jamaican. He said this, My dear departed grandmothers, whose extraordinary legacy I described in the recent essay on this website, as well as my deceased parents, must be turning in their graves right now to see their family's name, reputation, and proud Jamaican identity being connected in any way, jokingly or not, with the fraudulent stereotype of a pot-smoking joy seeker and in pursuit of identity politics. Speaking for myself and my immediate Jamaican family, we wish to categorically disassociate ourselves from this travesty Wow. To get a little bit more pointed. My goodness, the father of Kamala Harris wrote this extensively. Senator Harris, welcome to the race. I can't wait to see you sullen back to the U.S. Senate so you can continue to destroy innocent men's lives as Brett Kavanaugh. You are in for a repudiation the likes of which you are not ready for. I'm excited, hopeful, and thankful that we can now run up against a California gun-grabbing, anti-American, anti-Christian Marxist someone who's been on every single side of every issue and the incorrect side of every issue, you, Senator Harris, are a gift to this race. We will beat you. Buckle up. You're going to lose. Who's your wireless provider? AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile? What if I told you Talk USA uses the exact same network as one of those carriers? Same towers, same exact coverage, but literally costs you half? I know it sounds crazy. When I first heard about Talk, I thought, this is too good to be true. But then I looked at their customer reviews. Sarah from Abilene, Texas said, The service is amazing. Love the price. The speed is quick. The reception is perfect. Eugene from Granbury, Texas said, Good service. Haven't had any problems in our travels. We move around the state pretty much. Since giving up AT&T, we don't really know there's any difference in the level of service, quality, or accessibility. So switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, and they'll send you a SIM card. So you can get the same great service you currently have, but at half the price. So listen to this unlimited talk and text and two gigs of data for just $20 a month. The average person is saving $400 a year. No retail stores, no billion dollar year ad campaigns, no value adds to your contract that you end up paying for. So here's the deal. Unlimited talk, unlimited text, plus two gigs of data for just $20 a month. All you need to do is grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250 and say keyword Charlie Kirk. That's pound 250 and say keyword Charlie Kirk. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. College football is essential. Trevor Lawrence, who's now going into his junior year at Clemson University, one of the best college quarterbacks I have ever seen play the sport. And I love college football. And of every sport, if I had a rank at college football, it would be number one, two, and three. There's something so special, so passionate, so innovative, so unpredictable about college football. I'm a huge Oregon Ducks fan. I've been so disappointed with how some of the players for the University of Oregon and Pac-12 have decided they just want to sit this season off, basically. And we'll get into that in just one second. But Trevor Lawrence had a great quote about getting people back to football. He said, We are more likely to get the virus in everyday life than playing football. Having a season also incentivizes players being safe and taking all of the right precautions to try to avoid contracting COVID because the season-slash-teammate safety is on the line. Without the season... As we've seen already, people will not social distance or wear masks and take the proper precautions. So I want to dive into part of this because I think it points out a larger, broader, very important point, which is this, quote, having a season also incentivizes players to be safe and taking all the right precautions. Trevor Lawrence here makes a great point that I even kind of missed. If you have a season, then there is an incentive for all the players to not get the Chinese coronavirus. Now, you might be thinking, well, Charlie, what would the incentive be to get the Chinese coronavirus? No, they're going to go above and beyond and make sure they get the right precautions, make sure they socially distance so that they can keep playing, doing what they love. If you take someone's season away from them, they don't care. They're going to probably be incredibly depressed, which we should not do anything that has more widespread depression amongst young people, not just the players, by the way, but also the fans. You know, it's very easy for non-athletic fans or people that don't follow sports on the sidelines to be medical experts to lob in their opinion to try to make it seem as if they know what is best for other people. I, for one, find a great release, a great escape in watching college football. If there is no incentive to be safe, whether it be to go to church or to get back to work or play football, then no one will actually work to be a better, healthier person. They'll just give up. Within reason, and we saw this towards the beginning of the pandemic, Americans were willing to make sacrifices to slow the spread. We talked out against the lockdown measures, but they're talking about having no fans as a starting point. Okay, why would they not have practice? Why would they not have team meetings just canceling the season is so cowardly, so incorrect, and quite honestly, not surprising out of a leaderless organization like the NCAA. So by trying to cancel college football, I think they've stumbled onto a hill. A majority of Americans are metaphorically willing to die on. It's a line in the sand where people will finally say enough is enough. College football might actually be the gateway to reopening our country. Now, there are some very disturbing leading trends towards the cancellation of college football. We have seen quite a few news articles and clippings of conferences that are already signaling that they might cancel their season. In fact, a couple conferences already have. The Ivy League and University of Connecticut already canceled because they're very weak people that don't care about their students, don't care about their athletes, don't care about the fans. After we recorded the football segment, we just found out the ACC and the SEC are going to play football. Needless to say, college football is a mess. It's a disaster. I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see some Big Ten teams disconnect and affiliate so they could play independently, such as Nebraska. We're going to keep a close eye on this. America needs college football. The Big Ten has decided not to play football. The Pac-12 has decided with the Big Ten not to play football. I'm so disappointed to see this. This is an election-winning issue for President Trump. We're going to stay on top of it right here on The Charlie Kirk Show. Now, Trevor Lawrence started a hashtag, hashtag, we want to play. And the fact that they are going to rob students of their college athletics of football is unspeakably immoral. If the students do not want to play, then give them the option not to play. Say, here is the risk, and you can decide not to show up and play. Now, here's an unpopular opinion, but it's true. And that's why I want to thank those of you that support our program at charliekirk.com support. You allow us to say things that are true that might not be popular so that we can continue to educate millions and millions of people. There is more long-term health risk if the student-athletes play football than if the students do not play football. Football is more damaging to a young person's health than the Chinese coronavirus long-term. It just is. You look at brain injury. You look at broken bones. You look at sometimes people get paralyzed. At least one or two people every single year in college football gets paralyzed Then it's a incredibly horrific thing to watch, career-ending injuries, traumatic hemorrhages of the brain and concussions that people cannot recover from. The Chinese coronavirus statistically shows us, especially for young people, and even more so young athletic people that are in great shape, they are not at risk all, not at sizable risk of dying from the Chinese coronavirus. It is a minuscule statistical risk, yes, some young people have died from the virus however the young people that have died almost all have comorbidities they're almost all overweight or they have underlying health conditions a young person playing for the university of connecticut if they were able to play would actually be in more health risk damage of a concussion or something that could hurt them long term but now the university of connecticut which is in stores connecticut i've spoken there before Stores, Connecticut is one of the most miserable cities on the entire planet. Great conservative audience that showed up when we went and spoke at Turning Point USA at University of Connecticut, but one of the most liberal, one of the most socialist, one of the darkest campuses I have ever visited. The University of Connecticut has decided that football is not essential. So what do you think the football players are going to do now that you've canceled their season? What do you think the football players are going to do now that you've decided that their season doesn't matter? Do you think all of a sudden they're going to socially isolate for the next year, go live in a bubble? Of course not. In fact, more players will probably get the virus because you've canceled their season than if you had a season. More players will probably go party recklessly, get drunk endlessly on Friday and Saturday nights because there's no reason not to because there's no college football. You will see more players commit suicide, get into drug use, and get into directionless lifestyle. All because... The ruling class administration presidents and chancellors, they think they know best. And this is something that the academic left has done for years. They put forth decrees that they themselves never have to live under. Now, I'm sure some of these presidents and chancellors are conflicted as to whether or not they should have a college football season. I'm sure that some of them want the season, but they're so surrounded by the activists on campus that they almost believe that Football should not be exempt from the suffering of everyone else around them. What a silly and ridiculously backwards perspective. Now, people are coming out of the woodwork and they're saying, enough. We want football back. I am so incredibly upset over all of this. I am losing my patience with how the activist medical deep state in a lot of different parts of our country are using political anti-science narratives to destroy people's lives. And yeah, they say, oh, who cares about sports? Sports is a real thing for tens of millions of people, including myself. President Trump also tweeted, quote, play college football. And his pinned tweet is a series of videos of him and Melania attending major NCAA games and welcoming the athletes to the White House. Good for you, President Trump. So there's a few things that come to mind. I can't think of anything else That sparks more pro-American pride than a good competitive football game. That's exactly why the left wants to cancel this. That's exactly why the left wants to cancel college football. It would actually be a sense of normalcy, a sense of rebirth, a sense of us getting our lives back, and the president might be more likely to win the election. Make no mistake, this is not about health. It's not, of course not. We know that now. This is about defeating Donald Trump. They want to take Ohio's football away. They want to take Pennsylvania's football away. They want to take Michigan's football away. They want to take Wisconsin's football away. This is the major sport for some of these states. In Wisconsin, it is Green Bay Packers on Sunday, Wisconsin badges, the badges on Saturday. In Ohio, there is no athletic competition that gets even close to Ohio State football. There is nothing that gets close. It's not Cleveland Indians, not the Cleveland Browns, not the Cincinnati Bengals or the Cincinnati Reds. Those are all well-followed teams, but nothing even comes close to Ohio State football. So in these key battleground states, if President Trump keeps the pressure on and President Trump continues to actually make this a winning wedge issue, he will win votes in the states that matter most. I would love to hear what Joe Biden thinks about having players go back to play. This is a winning issue for the president. Now, my second most retweeted tweet of all time is, in fact, of the crowd in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, blowing the metaphorical roof off of Bryant-Denny Stadium when President Trump was announced. Play tape. As an aside, my first most retweeted tweet of all time is about standing with Tucker Carlson in the face of the violent leftist mob. Interesting how those two are the most rewarded tweets of all time, which goes to point out that Americans are fed up with the left coming after what we consider to be valuable voices and institutions. Now, Representative Jim Jordan also came out in support of college football and saying America needs college football. You're right, Jim Jordan. God bless you. Now, in times of strife in our country, we decide our future by how much value we can create for ourselves. Trying to put a measurement on the amount of value, the amount of purpose Americans can have, is detrimental to everything this country stands for. Imagine if during the World War II effort we didn't enlist the women of America to support our soldiers. Most historians say, definitively, that we would not have emerged victorious. We have seen suicides rising because of all these lockdowns and limitations, becoming, according to the CDC director, uh, CDC director Redfield, more deadly than the virus in parts of America. So no, this is not just about a game. It's not just about an activity. And it shouldn't be a partisan issue. This is something much bigger. Football is, the left has always hated football, by the way. It's too masculine. It's too strong. It's too brutal. It's too American. They've been trying to cancel football. For decades, they finally have their excuse to do so. And if anyone is listening to this that is a football fan and is not outraged by what is happening right now, what's it gonna take? They've taken Easter from you. They took traditional Memorial Day and July 4th celebrations. They've taken church from so many of us. They took Palm Sunday from us. They they've taken March Madness from us. They've taken you going to the beach in many places. I can't even go work out in a gym in Phoenix, Arizona the parks. They've taken everything. And now they're going to take college football from us as well. And it's on its way to do that. But man, to take something that has so much meaning to so many people under the guise of safety is unthinkable to me. It really is. Hundreds of people will commit suicide if you cancel college football. Think about that. Hundreds of people right now that are breathing will most likely commit suicide If you remove something that has such incredible meaning to people as college football, where in the big house in Michigan, they have 127,000 people gather on a football Saturday in Michigan. You're going to take college football away from Ohio State University when Ohio State might have one of the best college football teams ever assembled this year. You're going to take college football away from me where the Ducks of Oregon very well might win the Pac-12 again and be able to go, hopefully, to the final four and maybe compete for a national championship. You already canceled the Ducks versus Bucks game, Oregon Ducks versus the Ohio State Buckeyes, of which I've been waiting for for seven to eight eight years since they announced it. I think it was eight years ago. But I'm not trying to make it all about me and try to have a pity parade. I'm not. What I am trying to make it about is the depression, the alcoholism, the hopelessness, the lack of direction, and the lives you will ruin because you think you're saving lives. The central planning rule by fiat autocrats must be stopped. College football is now where the culture war is happening. Right now, Trevor Lawrence on the right side, Nick Saban on the right side, President Trump on the right side, Jim Jordan on the right side. And these chancellors and these presidents that are raising a lot of your tuition, if you're listening to this, you're a college student, they're raising your tuition. They're not even giving you a discount when a lot of you go online for just a Zoom call. They're canceling football. Now, mind you, when I go and I ask young people, and I do this all the time, why are you going to college? Why are you going to college? I get pretty poor answers, to be honest with you. People say, oh, I, I'm going because my parents are making me. Well, borrowing a boatload of money that you do not have to study things that don't matter, to find jobs that don't exist, is not a great answer to go fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 into debt. It's not a great answer. But an answer I get quite often is, well, they have a great football team, and I can't wait to be there on college football Saturdays and It's a lot of fun I say, okay it's It's not a great answer to go seventy thousand dollars into debt, but if that's your reason, then at least you have a reason. even that has been removed. Fraternities and sororities all across the big Ten are not needing this semester and next semester. You see college for years, one of the ways they sold themselves is, yeah, come get eighty five thousand dollars in debt, you're going to learn to hate America. You'll probably be convinced that there is no God. We're going to create you into a very miserable and unhappy person. We're going to give you a piece of paper that probably will not let you get a job, so you'll have to go move in with your parents afterwards. You're going to become someone that has less direction, and instead of being tougher and stronger to encounter a world that is troublesome around you, we are going to try to activate you to try to remove things that are troublesome and try to make a safer environment instead of stronger people. But in exchange at least you'll be able to go to a football game. And that's basically been the bargain for the last couple of decades. Get the kids really excited, fill them up in the stadiums. They meet a bunch of people that they think they're going to do business with the rest of their life, and that's the case at certain schools, and send them out into the world. For these universities, college football is not going to happen at a lot of schools. I think the SEC might just self-affiliate and have their own season, quite honestly. And I'll, I'll watch it enthusiastically. I love college football, and I think the SEC is going to play no matter what. I think the SEC might just de from the NCAA and do their own games and have their own championship and their own way of crowning a national champion. Now, the NCAA might sanction them, but the SEC is too powerful, and they actually need the ad revenue. And so that's what's the real other interesting ironic thing about all this, is that these universities, man, do they hate their students. They have such contempt for the people that pass through their colleges. They really do. They say they, they say they, oh yeah, we care about students. No, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, there's some good schools out there. We talk about Hillsdale College, we talk about Liberty. They're so few and far between, I'll tell you what. These schools are able to subsidize a lot of the diversity programming, a lot of the lazy rivers, a lot of their expansion through the ad dollars that are given to the university when they have football games on TV. They get licensing fees. It's a massive money maker for these universities, especially in bowl games and even more so in the college football playoff. So let's take Ohio State University. Ohio State University has tens of thousands of students, between 50 to 60,000 students on campus and online. They will fill up Ohio Stadium with anywhere between 85 to 90,000 people. It's an incredible feat of engineering to even be able to put a stadium like that together. And the only way that they are able to justify that extraordinary cost is with the 9 to 10 football games they have every single year. In fact, they're actually able to get up to 110,000 people. So now, when the ruling class, the academics who do not care about their students, don't care about their student-athletes, don't care about their alumni. They don't care about their fans. They just care about fulfilling their own careers and their agenda so that they don't get mean things written about them by the activist media. When they cancel college football, all of a sudden they are basically saying the millions of dollars of revenue that were coming into the university are not important. Now, I'm all for divesting universities. I have an entire program at Turning Point USA called DivestU.com. However... Do you know how they're going to make up for that loss of revenue? They're just going to raise tuition on you if you're a young person listening to this or a college student. These university presidents are not going to go tap their multi-billion dollar endowments. The advertising revenue that they would get off college football actually pays for all the other sports. It pays for a lot of the women's sports. It pays for a lot of the less attended men's sports like golf and for all that. And so then when you do not have that advertising revenue, when you do not have The massive stadium attendance, which is an extraordinary amount of money. When all college football gets canceled, the students are going to have to actually compensate for the revenue loss. So people that just say, oh, college football is just a rounding error. If you look at the largest stadiums for mass gatherings in America, 15, you can go to the top 15, every single one of them from Michigan Stadium to Beaver Stadium to Ohio Stadium to Kyle Field in Kyle Station, Texas, to Nyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tiger Stadium, Bryant-Denny, Daryl K. Royal, Texas Memorial in Austin, Texas, Sanford Stadium, Athens, Georgia, are all college football stadiums. Not NFL, not baseball, not NBA. It's college football. We are on the precipice of robbing a core American institution around faulty science and activists that have overtaken academia, that quite honestly have been trying to cancel football for quite some time. And this is a winning issue for the president, and the president needs to stay on it. But before we talk more about the president's polls, as you know, we do our Book of the Week review on Friday, and we can't wait to share this week's book with you. But check out the last three Friday's books, The Prince by Machiavelli, Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell, and Carl Jung's Modern Man in Search of a Soul. Again, we talk about Thinker. It's a terrific website. It's T-H-I-N-K-R dot org slash Charlie. In our fast-paced world, it's tough to make reading a priority. At least it used to be. A new app called Thinker has solved that problem by summarizing the key ideas from new and noteworthy nonfiction, giving you access to an entire library of great books in bite-sized form. Read or listen to hundreds of titles in a matter of minutes, including old classics like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, to bestsellers like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. If you want to change your preconceptions, expand your horizons, and become a better thinker, well then, you must go to thinker.org slash charlie, T-H-I-N-K-R dot org slash charlie. So speaking of polling, let's give you a quick update, I encourage you to listen to our sister episode where we interview the great Terrence Williams. Some new polling shows that things are actually tightening. Now, one poll, there was a national poll, but we don't even talk about national polls, that had Trump down 10 points nationally. Completely irrelevant, not applicable at all. National polls do not matter. Show me state polls, show me trends. Now, Monmouth, which has Donald Trump down 10 points nationally, had the same in August of 2016. However, there's a Marquette University poll in Wisconsin that shows Biden up. Five points. Now that might seem like bad news, but as we examine some of the new emerging polls on a statewide basis, which is more important, especially in battleground states, we have a totally different picture. Now remember, you could lose California by 80 points, by 90 points, lose the popular vote and still win in a landslide with the Electoral College. Also something to consider with these polls, polls that conduct something called live caller with cell phones, they tend to skew Democrat. Why? This is what we call the shy Trump voter. I add three to four to all these polls, always, especially in a presidential. Now remember, conservatives are much more likely to hide their true political opinions from public view. The presumption is that this includes from a pollster if it's live on a phone call. And this bears out in the polling methodologies. So a new poll in Arizona has Martha McSally, the incumbent Republican senator who was appointed by Governor Doug Ducey. She is down five points where she was down nine points in a similar poll previously. So if you look at OH Predictive's trend line since December, it follows what we basically know to be true, that Trump was ahead at the end of last year and pre-pandemic. Then things got really bad. We know that. No one is denying it. But the race is tightening in the president's favor. Republican plus two in December to a low of Democrat plus nine and plus eight in May. And now it's improved for Trump to Democrat plus four for now. And now here's a new promising poll that shows Trump is beating Biden. Conducted by Rasmussen, Pulse Opinion in the state of North Carolina, the poll of 750 likely voters shows the president beating Biden by a single point when leaners are included. So there's, we can cherry-pick polls, and there's some polls that show Trump down in some of these states. But the enthusiasm index is definitely in the president's direction. I think there are some major issues here that are missing from the conversation. If the president can continue to show significant gains when it comes to the Chinese coronavirus, get college football back on the airwaves, I think this is how his election to lose. I think he's going to have massive gains, and I think— The more the president is ahead of the curve on the issue of the economy and law and order, the better. Tomorrow, we're going to go into a new story. So do not miss the episode tomorrow. Make sure you type in Charlie Kirk show to your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. Give us a five star review screenshot and email us in the subject line. Say you want to be in the running to win a signed copy of Donald Trump Jr.'s new book. If you do that, then you will be in the running to get a new copy of Donald Trump Jr.'s new book, Liberal Privilege. Final note. Joe Biden has more unanswered questions for his campaign than Donald Trump. Some of this polling might look grim. Some of this polling might not be excitable for you. I actually think it's going in the president's direction. He is making up significant gains. Republicans always rally late. They are late to coming to the polls and late coming to voice their opinion. Democrats are usually earlier at doing that, especially on a referendum election like they have against President Trump. Do not lose faith do not lose hope. The president still has his convention coming up. Type in Charlie Kirk show, hit subscribe. We need college football back. Spread this episode, send it to your non-political friends. It is critical that we get our lives as close back to normal as we possibly can. Email us your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com. Get involved with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com, tpusa.com. I want to thank those of you that helped support our program at charliekirk.com slash support. charliekirk.com slash support. Chip in $50, $100, $5, or $500, whatever you can afford at charliekirk.com slash support. Thank you guys so much. God bless you. Talk to you soon.
1: We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees,